morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you are here. I just want to start off um, with a little bit of background, a little bit about me. So when I was uh, younger, I did not like nor did I care about politics at all. That was not, that was not me. Um, I didn't like it when people fought about them, for sure. Um, I had never, like, personally in my life, experienced any hardship that was worth, like, marching over. So I didn't go out and, and ever do anything like that. Um, I definitely did not understand economics, and I still don't. Like, don't ask me to explain crypto. I'm not the guy that's going to, like, try to convince you to get involved with it. I don't get it. Um, all that, like, politics really seem to do, and to me in my life, is, like, they cause a lot of division and stuff. And so I tried to um, stay out of it. And when I was, like, pressed to, like, give an opinion or a thought or something like that, um, I would just, like, uh, I would just, like, repeat something that maybe I had heard, like, my mom say before or a teacher or something. Uh, but that was it. But as I got older, I remember... Um, I remember hearing somebody say something that kind of stu stuck with me. I remember somebody said, if you're lucky enough to not have to care about politics, then you have the responsibility to take care of those people that are not so lucky. And that really stuck with me. I was like, oh, like, I have been lucky enough to not really have to care about it or pay attention. And so I was like, I, I do want to take care of the people who like are directly impacted by a lot of those things. And so it changed the way that I saw things. And I did start to care more. And I started to pay attention more because um, we do live in a political world. And that's because we live in this political world. And because that stuff does matter and it does affect people, that is why we have been in this series, Salt and Light, Left and Right is because we at Crossroads, we have been talking about how we want to navigate this very political world, but we want to do so in a way that is Christ-centered and Christ-focused. Could I get that tape, Sarah? I've, I've been fiddling with it too much. I know it's going to be distracting. Thank you. <laughs> so good morning, everybody. My name's Nathan. I didn't introduce myself yet. And um, I really enjoyed these last two weeks of this series because I've really loved how we've been able to focus on like two like aspects of like who we are. First, we focus on our eyes, and what we really talked about was that. Um, sorry, I'm going to get this really quick. Thank you for your patience. That'll be good. Thank you. That's all I need. Appreciate it. Okay, um, we focused on our eyes and how like we need to um, we need to look in the mirror and examine ourselves before we look out the window and we judge and we examine others and what's going on in their lives. We really need to take care of ourselves. And I thought that was so good. And then last week we got to talk about our ears and what we talked about was like we need to be careful that we're like listening more, right? That we're listening to what other people are saying and really truly hearing where they are coming from also. And so I'm excited today to get to talk about our hands and our feet. And the reason and like the, where this series comes from is from the book of Matthew. Uh, and before we turn there and before we even have it on our screen, I do want to suggest something to you guys. This is something that we've been doing in youth group. And I said that I was going to share it here. In youth group, we've really been focusing on learning how to read our Bibles for ourselves. That's been a really big part of what we've been doing. On Tuesday nights, I get to help lead our, our youth. 
And uh, so I want to encourage you to, like, if you've got a Bible, pull that out. If you've got your phone, pull it out. It's going to be on the screen. But if you don't practice, like, navigating your Bible yourself, then you're not going to be able to do it Tuesday through Saturday, which is when it's really important to do so. Because, like, I'm not going to be there on Wednesday to encourage you to read the book of Luke. I'll be here this morning to do so. But on Wednesday, maybe you should read it for yourself. So I want to encourage you to just kind of follow along with us. I won't find it rude if you've got your phone out. I'll assume that you're. I'll assume that you're following along, even if you're like watching football. I'll assume you're following along <laughs> with uh, with me in the Bible. And so, the last thing that I'm going to share before we uh, before we read the verse is there's many different translations of the Bible as well. And sometimes it can be confusing if you're reading a different translation than we have up here. Um, I know that could be sometimes a little bit confusing. So I just want to teach you kind of how translations work because there's many different types of them. Uh, The first type of translation that we have are what are called word-for-word translations. There's like new word-for-word translations coming out pretty often because our understanding of language has been getting better as time has progressed, as time goes on. Like we've been able to create more and more accurate word-for-word translations. Those are not always the most readable because people spoke differently then than we do now. But a word-for-word translation can be really exciting because we can get into, like, why did they choose that word and why did they use that? Uh, The most popular and most direct, like, word-for-word translations are what's called the NASB and then the ESV. We have some ESV Bibles in the back if that's what you're more interested in. Okay? There's also what's called thought-for-thought translations. Those are a bit more of a paraphrase. And the nice thing about a thought-for-thought translation is it makes it more readable for us. And so some popular thought-for-thought would be like the message, which is just like it makes the Bible a lot longer because he puts a lot in there, uh, the guy that uh, completed that translation. There's also like the NLT, though. That's another very popular thought-for-thought translation. We have some NLT Bibles on the tables in the back as well if you wanted to follow along. Those are, again, very readable because it's more how we speak today because they're getting the thought across, even if it's not the exact word for word. Then there's those that find themselves like right in the middle. The most popular of those is what's called the NIV. And we use the NIV a lot here at Crossroads. We use the NLT quite a bit as well. And the nice thing about the NIV is it's kind of that bridge between thought for thought and word for word, where they try to capture a lot of those words that were used at that time that are crucial for the description of like that uh, Bible verse. But it also gets kind of that thought for thought. Let's get the idea across as well. And it makes the NIV like just very easy to pick up and read as well. So you'll see we always put the translation of whatever verse we're reading up there so that you can refer back and you can kind of check our work a little bit as well. Uh, So if you're ever like, this is different, like what I'm reading is different than what's up there, it's because of the translation that we have. Um, There's going to be one place where we're going to read a story, so I'll stop so that we can all, like, turn to that, um, turn to there in the Bible. But the first one that I'm just going to do is uh, Matthew, and we're going to hit that one kind of quickly. Matthew chapter 5. The reason we're going to hit this one a little bit quicker is because we've been reading this every week, and this is kind of the heart of our series. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. What Jesus is telling us here is he's telling us we are salt and light. And it's not even like he wants us to like try to be salt and light. He's not like do your best to be salt and light. He's saying like you guys, my creation, my followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light in the world. And so he's given us a job. 
And so what we want to do is we want to learn how to be salt and light, regardless of whether we are left or right. Because here at Crossroads, we are not saying don't lean left or don't lean right. That's not what we're saying at all. What we are instead saying is we cannot afford to lose our salt. We cannot afford to lose our light because we lean left or because we lean right. And so this morning, let's address our hands and our feet. Because as I became more aware and more involved in the political sphere as I got older and as I started to pay more attention, what I happened is I became increasingly aware of how easy it was to make your political leaning your identity. How easy it was for me to make it my identity. It's a very easy thing to do because some of the issues that are wrapped up in politics and that are consumed by those things are very near and dear to people's hearts. And so it makes those things tender and it makes them important and it makes them sometimes defensive about those and they take them very seriously. And so I do, once again, I just want to say that I'm not telling you not to have political opinions or ideologies. A lot of those a lot of those things are important. I'm not telling you to stay out of politics or to not get involved. Far from it. It's a great way to love your community and love the people around you. But what I am telling you is that as Christians, our politics are not what we should be known by. And they should not change who we are. Okay? Our Christianity, us following Jesus, that is what should come first. And that should impact everything else. And so if you're here this morning, I do want to speak to you this morning if you're not a Christian. Because there might be people in this room where you're like, I'm not really a Jesus follower yet. I'm still thinking about it. That's something that I'm considering. That's why I'm here. And if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, I do want to speak to you for a moment. And Christians, you're welcome to listen in. If you're here and like, you're like, I'm a Christian, you can listen in. You can eavesdrop if you want. Um, you, might, you might get something out of it as well. But non-Christians, I just kind of want to say like an apology to you as well, because I hope that Christians haven't changed the way that you see Jesus uh, because of the way that politics can impact who they are. Because I think a lot of times as Christians, we don't always follow the model that Jesus left for us. And I hope it's not the change the way that you view Jesus. And so I want to reintroduce to us the politics of Jesus's world and see how he navigated that this morning. Because Jesus, and now this is back for everybody. This is for everybody now. Jesus was born at the height of the Roman Empire's power. They had recently conquered most of like the known world. Like the Rome's land-based empire was like crazy large. Uh, I teach history, and so you're getting a history lesson now. Um, so they had built this very large land-based empire, and they had connected a lot of the known world. And Israel was no exception to being conquered. Like Rome did not often lose battles, okay? Carthage tried to destroy them three times, and it didn't work any of those times, right? And so unlike the previous empires that had existed during that time, Rome was not really interested in, like, destroying the cultures of the people that they conquered. That was often a really good way that you could, like, rule over the people you conquered, is you would take their leaders and you would uh, kill them or you would move them to another part of the empire. You would force people to learn, like, a new language. That was often a method for control for empires, but Rome wasn't really interested in that. What they did is they took the local leaders from those communities and then they just turned them into, like, puppet rulers, 
okay? As long as the local rulers were loyal to you, then the common people would be loyal to their local rulers. And so that had been done to Israel and many of the places that Rome had conquered. And so that meant that people were able to keep their language, they were able to keep their religion, and they were able to keep their traditions, okay? And so then what the Roman Empire would do is they would exact tribute from those people. It was basically like, pay us money or we'll come in and we'll do bad stuff. If the money runs out, then we're going to have problems. But as long as the flow of money continues, then you guys are good to keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't really matter to Rome what you're doing because you're going to keep us well-fed, you're going to keep us well-armed, and we'll be able to continue conquering all over uh, the rest of the world. That was the plan. And so families were charged taxes. You would get taxed by the person, but then you would get taxed by, like, your income as well, like the crops that you brought in, the merchandise that you sold, the fish that you caught. You would get taxed on that as well. And then you would also get taxed to travel. And then finally, there was a religious tax in order to keep practicing your religion, often charged to the church that you were a part of, okay? So in this case, it would be like, uh, it would be like Jewish synagogues and then the temple, okay? And so in Israel, they still had like kind of this local uh, government that was much like it had been before, just with Rome ruling over it. Things were relatively theocratic, Okay, what theocratic means is that like the religion and the politics are like intertwined. They're one and the same. Your religious leaders are also, they kind of serve as a political leader to you as well. It wasn't quite as theocratic as many of the empires that we've seen throughout history. It's not like they had like a king that like spoke directly to God or something, but they were still like theocratic people. And so the religion and the politics were intertwined, meaning that the political and religious factions of the day were one and the same. And during their time, they had groups of leaders that you've probably heard of before if you've been to church, called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these groups had a lot of the power during this time in, uh, among like, the people of like, Israel that were being ruled over by Rome. I promise this will all become relevant. So I know it feels like a history lesson. That's because it is. Okay? Because, and this is, this is, I guess, where it becomes relevant right now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had different ideas of how their nation should look. Does that sound familiar? Has has there ever been like groups that are powerful within a nation that have different ideas of how the nation should look? That's the period that Jesus was born into, okay? The Pharisees were the most religiously conservative um, within, uh, within Israel at the time. They had the most influence among the common people, and the common people were the majority. And because they had influence among the common people, that gave them quite a bit of power within the territory. Okay? And the Pharisees believed and taught that one day there would be a savior that would come and set the people free by conquering Rome. Okay? They would come in, they would lead a rebellion, and they would, uh, they would throw out Rome. They would set their people free, th- uh, free through violence, and, um, and then the people would be free once again. Okay? And some of the Pharisees, unfortunately, preyed upon the most illiterate and uneducated of the Jewish people okay? by adding extra rules and requirements to the long list of the law that they already had. But because people were uneducated, they didn't know, and they trusted their leaders. And they forced the working poor into kind of like a posture of being subjugated uh, by these religious rules and teachers. And so these rules often kept the people dependent upon the Pharisees for two things, for hope, but also for influence. 
Okay? The Sadducees, on the other hand, were already quite wealthy. They were the aristocratic people. They came from wealth already. They came from high-ranking birth. Okay? And they had a vested financial interest in the Roman rule because Rome left them with a lot of the power and influence over the people. And so as long as Rome was in charge, the Sadducees were actually doing pretty okay. They were benefiting from the Roman rule. And the Sadducees were convinced that there was no savior king coming. That makes sense. They had nothing to be set free from. They were benefiting from the current state of affairs. And the Sadducees made themselves wealthy by exacting unfair taxes and fees from their people, especially from the temple. Because you had to come to the temple to make sacrifices, they would charge exorbitant fees for people to come and do that by like selling things that could be sacrificed at the temple. Have you ever heard that story about Jesus coming in and, like, kicking people out of the temple that were taking advantage? Yeah. That's these guys, okay? And so they were benefiting a lot monetarily from the people as well. And this was a very critical part of Israel's religion. The temple was very important to them. But those weren't the only political groups of the time. You've also maybe heard that, like, Jesus had a follower called, like, Simon the Zealot, before, there was also a group called the Zealots that were running around. They were, like, living on, like, the outskirts of, like, Israel, and they were hiding in the hills. And they thought that, like, a savior would eventually come, but they thought that they didn't have time to wait. And so they actually would, like, stir up, like, violent revolution against the Romans because they were going to take their freedom into their own hands. But they're also not the only group either. There's so many people out there because there's also the Samaritans, another group that you've probably heard of. They were an ethnic and racial minority during this time that the Jewish people despised. In, fa in fact, had like forbidden from even participating in the temple worship at all. And these groups were at odds with each other as well. So we've got like We've got like the aristocracy taking advantage of people, and we've got religious leaders that kind of want to control them and influence them, and then we've got uh, ethnic and racial tension, and then we've got like people that want violent revolution. It was a bit of a powder keg, it feels like, that was ready to explode, okay? In fact, like I want to just hone in on the Samaritans for a minute to show you just how bad things were for them. Um, if you have your Bibles now, this is the story that we're going to read. We're going to go to the book of Luke chapter 9. The book of Luke chapter 9. Uh, this is in like the latter like third of your Bible. Luke was a, um, he was a doctor and a bit of a historian actually. And what's really cool is he went around and he interviewed people that had met Jesus and walked with Jesus. And he wanted to give like a very specific and direct historical account with lots of sources, which makes this book very exciting for people that study the scripture because he did such a thorough account of it. Luke would also go on to write the book of Acts as well, which talks about like the first apostles, the first people that were teaching about Jesus after he had left. And so I'm going to read this to you, um, but you are welcome to read along. We're on verse 51 of Luke chapter 9. Verse 51. And I'll be reading from the NLT. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, this is Jesus, okay? As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Okay, so Jesus is on his way to, like, this capital city, which is kind of like the hub of, like, all of this tension, this political attention, uh, tension, I mean, that exists in the community. 
And he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Okay, Jewish people and Samaritan people did not get along at this time. But Jesus needs to stop here on his way to Jerusalem. Okay, they need to stop and rest because they're traveling a far distance. Okay, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Here's that tension, right? They're not allowed to go and worship at the temple, okay? And so when James and John saw this, okay, James and John being two of Jesus's uh, closest friends and disciples, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven to burn them up? What? Like, that's crazy, right? Like, you don't expect, like, the closest followers of Jesus to suggest something like that. But things were tense during that time. There was a long history of dislike. There was a lot of, like, bad thinking that needed to be broken in them, okay, Uh, because of this. Would they have suggested that if Jewish people had said that Jesus couldn't stop? I don't know. That's speculation. But we do know that there was already animosity between these groups, and that could have only amplified and heightened that. And so I think we have to look inward a little bit and think, do we ever think that way? Maybe you're not here and you've like ever thought like, Jesus, like, I hope you destroy them with fire. Maybe you have. I don't know. Okay. But we probably do want to destroy people's reputations that think differently than us and that hurt us. We probably do want them to feel bad and feel shame for the things that they've done and the things that they've said. And so we have to look into ourselves and think like, do we ever think like James and John there? I mean, there's a reason they were called the sons of thunder, right? They were like, burn them, right? (laughs) Burn them, Jesus. But Jesus shows them a different way. He actually turns to them and he rebukes them. He corrects them. He says, I don't know what he says, but he tells them that that is not how things work in the kingdom of heaven. That is not how things are going to work in the new kingdom that Jesus was building. Jesus was that king that was going to come and set people free. The king that the Pharisees thought was was coming. The king that the zealots were like, we don't have time to wait. He was going to come and set them free, but not the way that they thought. That was not what he would set them free from. He's here to set us free from our sin. And so we need to look inwards and find where does that exist in us. And so the common farmer and the common fishermen and artisan family that lived in, the, in this Jewish territory in the Roman Empire, they lived during a volatile political period. Overbearing religious leaders who despised and oppressed the common people. They endured wealthy elites who were just robbing them. And they contributed themselves to racial and ethnic tension with their neighbors. And they witnessed sporadic, violent outbreaks against this overbearing army. I mean, we haven't even talked about the Romans that are living among them, right? And so where did Jesus fit into all of this? And what example does he set for us on how we live? Did he align himself with the wealthy and the powerful? No. Did he start an uprising to overthrow Rome? He didn't do that either. Many hopes that he would. But instead, Jesus went from town to town, and he showed people a different way to live and a different way to change the world. Instead of pursuing more power to take it away from those that had it, instead of pursuing money or religious authority, he shared a love and a sacrificially generous way of living. He chose not to go along with the schemes that others used to control and to manipulate the system to benefit themselves. And instead, he demonstrated how he could benefit others. 
in the book of Luke chapter 6, if we go, we rewind a little bit from uh, chapter 9, Jesus says this when he's speaking to his disciples. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray to those who mistreat you. It's a different way of living, and it doesn't come naturally. It does not come naturally, okay? You have to wake up and you have to choose to live like that because it's not just gonna, it doesn't just happen on accident, right? I don't share on accident. I don't give generously on accident. It's just not how it works. And so each of these political groups that existed in the time of Jesus saw him as a threat because he lived like that. The Pharisees saw this movement and they were like, that is threatening our authority that we have. And he exposed the hypocrisy because they did not live like that. The Sadducees saw Jesus as a threat to their power and wealth because he had exposed their schemes to make money off of the people. And the Zealots, they violently rejected one of Jesus' most core teachings, which is to love your enemy because they use violence against their enemies. And in the end, all three of these groups had him killed. We believe that Judas Iscariot was actually one of the zealots based on the translation of Iscariot. And so he's the one that betrayed Jesus' location to those that sought to arrest him. The Sadducees then took Jesus and they took him to stand trial in front of the Romans, okay, hoping that he would be executed. And then when the Romans couldn't find any crime committed, they gave the people an option. They said, we've got two prisoners that we could set free. We could set free this murderer, Barabbas, or this Jesus guy that y'all seem to hate, okay, that we don't think did anything wrong. And the Pharisees, they then stirred up the people, and they're like, Jesus, kill Jesus, kill Jesus. And they got them involved, and they voted to kill Jesus and to set Barabbas free. And Rome's hand was forced. The politics of the day got Jesus killed. But in spite of their best efforts, the execution was not the end because Jesus came back. Okay, and that movement continues to impact the world thousands of years later here in this building, right? We're still here because of that movement that Jesus started. That movement of loving our enemies and doing good to those who hate us and blessing those who curse us and praying for those who mistreat us. But we're not always good at living out the movement that is set before us. But that movement is impactful because Jesus actively resisted and rejected participating in his culture war politics. He said no. He chose not to get involved. And I don't, I don't know, like I'm not in your head, so I don't know how these teachings impact you. Some of it might be hard to hear because maybe you've grown up taught that Jesus's movement was political. Maybe you've been taught that. I'm not sure. Maybe you're here and you've sometimes conflated like the kingdom of God with the kingdom of like America. And you've thought that those like went together and you believe that they're one and the same. But the kingdom of Jesus isn't earthly. It wasn't an earthly kingdom. And a lot of our founding fathers were not even following Jesus because deism is not Christianity. Maybe this message is hard for you, though, because you're here and you've been taught that, like, Jesus was a socialist as well. And I'm here to tell you that that's also just not the case, right? Jesus never advocated for any economic practice other than generosity. 
That was the economic practice of Jesus. He didn't say be a capitalist. He didn't say be a socialist. Jesus said be generous. And that is the way to live. Okay? The only... I already said that. (laughs) He taught love, and he taught self-sacrifice, and he taught peace. In the book of John, Jesus says this. And this is our verse for this morning. This is the one I want you to remember. This is the one I want you to go get tattooed later. This is the one that like, this is the one that I want you to highlight. Make it your wallpaper on your screen. This is it, okay? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is it. This is the message. This is the mission, okay? Our identity is not being Republican or Democrat or independent or constitutionalist or libertarian. Our identity is also not to be fed up by uh, politics, and our identity is also not supposed to be, like, apathetic to politics, okay? Many of you are here, and you probably could care less about politics, right? Um, But this is what must define us. This is what matters. This is the mission, that we love one another. And if you're here... And you're like, Nate, you've been talking about politics for like 20 minutes. It needs to stop. I don't get it. I don't even know what a Republican or a Democrat is. Which one's the horse? Which one's, or which one's like the donkey? Which one's the elephant, right? Like if that's you, here's what I want to tell you as well. There's something out there that is tempting to define you. It might not be politics, but there's something out there in your life that is going to try to define you that's not Jesus. It's going to try to become the most important thing in your life. And we can't let that happen. Maybe you're out there and it's not politics for you, but it's your family. And your family defines you. And you're the best gosh darn dad or mom out there. And you want everybody to know. Maybe you're out there and it's your partner. Or it's your job. Or it's a hobby. Don't look at your neighbor and say, oh, that one's you. Okay? Look inward. Look inward and say, which one's me? Right? There's like mirrors uh, on the back. Will you lift up? A mirror? We've got these mirrors. Grab one on your way out. But what we need to do is we need to look inward and find how this impacts us. Because only we can make a choice for us. We've been handing out mirrors every week. So feel free to grab one. Because that's what this series is all about, is looking in the mirror and finding it for us. Looking in our hearts and telling ourselves what it is that might try to define us. Okay? Your ranking on the leaderboard of your favorite video game might define you. Don't let that define you. Okay? Your body image, for better or worse, might define you. Don't let that define you, okay? How much you weight lift, how many followers you have, how lit last weekend was, and, and how funny your jokes are, those things might try to define you, and you can't let that happen. All of those things are tempting to one or many of us. We all have something. For me, I love to be seen as smart, But Jesus doesn't say that they will know me. Can we go back to the verse? Jesus doesn't say they will know you by how smart you are, how how much smarter you are than everybody else, okay? That is not what Jesus says. I love being creative, okay? It doesn't say they will know that you are my disciple because of how good your stories are or how right you are or how good your arguments are. That is not what Jesus says, He says that they will know Nathan by his love. Because I am a disciple of Jesus, but if I'm not loving, then nobody will ever know. They will never know. If I live selfishly, how will people know that I'm a disciple? How will they know that I belong to the Jesus party first and foremost before anything else? He's the only one that can save us. 
your favorite TikToker will not save you. No matter how many life hacks they teach you, or no matter how many times they do a really cool dance and then point to something important that you don't know about, and now you're angry about something that you didn't even know existed 30 seconds ago, it won't save you. Your beautiful family is not going to save anybody. No matter how good they look at family pictures this autumn, in front of all the changing leaves, in their flannels, your family won't save anybody. We can be so good. We can be so nice. We can be so smart and so right. We can be right, okay? But because we don't have love, we're living wrong. We're living wrong. No matter how right we are, how smart we are, how nice we are, without love, we're living wrong. And I feel like there might be someone in here that thinks this. There might be someone in here that thinks, Nate, you got to tell the truth, though. You're telling me to live loving, but you need to tell the truth, and you're right. Jesus told the truth all the time, but he did it in love. Jesus did not sit idly by while people taught wrong and lived wrong and did wrong, okay? So I'm not advocating that we don't tell the truth, but I am advocating that we tell the truth in love the way that Jesus did. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Many translations say they will know that you are my disciples. And our mission is they. Our mission is they. That might be a slide. Yes. Our mission is they. They are the people that don't know Jesus. And they might be your enemy. And they might be on the other side of the political aisle. And they might not get you. And you might not get them. But your mission remains them whoever they might be. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, the secret's out, you're my mission, okay? I'm trying, I am trying to tell you about Jesus this morning. I really am, okay? So um, yeah, it's not, it's, it was, maybe it wasn't a well-kept secret, but you are my mission. And I don't mean that in like a creepy way. I mean that in just Jesus gave me hope way. And Jesus showed me love way. And many people here feel the same. They need our love so that they can know Jesus because he is the only way. I don't want to win they over to Crossroads. You don't have to go to Crossroads. I don't want to win they over to Foursquare. You might not even know that you're in a Foursquare church right now, right? I'm not trying to win you over to that. I'm not trying to, I don't want you to be my disciple. I don't want you to be Rob's disciple. I don't want you to be Adam's disciple. I want you to be a disciple of Jesus because our goal is that others would see Jesus in us without us even having to speak his name because we have so much love. We're gonna speak his name, but we shouldn't have to, right? And we cannot choose, we cannot achieve that goal without showing love, okay? We wanna put in the work to be the hands and feet of Jesus and show love to one another. Will they know us by our beliefs? No. Our politics? No. Our opinions? Our rightness, I wish. I feel like I'm right a lot. (laughs) I've been told often by my parents that I'm not, right? (laughs) But they won't know us by that. They won't know us by our arguments. They won't know us by our gamer score. They won't know us by our favorite fandom 
or the adventures that we go on and post about. They won't know us by our followers or our PR. That's like personal record, uh, not public relations. Okay, they won't know us by our family pictures. They won't know us by our grades in school. They won't know us by our jokes or the promotion we got at work or how many likes we got on anything we've posted. That's not how they're going to know us. They will know us by our love. And that's it. You don't hear a lot of stories about people getting argued into Christianity. But you hear a lot of stories about people getting loved into it. None of the disciples were convinced to follow Jesus by a well-crafted debate. He showed them who he was and who he continues to be today, which is love, unconditional love. He saw Nathaniel under the tree, and he told him that he saw him there and that he loved him there. He met a woman at the well who happened to be a Samaritan, and he didn't argue her into anything. He gave her living water. That's what he did. He went, and he, under the cover of night, in secret, met with Nicodemus because he knew that it was dangerous for Nicodemus to meet with him publicly, and he gave him the truth in love. He gave him truth there. He told him what was right, but he did so in love, unconditional love. Even when the other person is so stupid for believing that thing, you have to love them. Even when that person, you think they are so evil for voting the way that they did, you have to love them. If the worship team could come forward. I want to keep this visual up here. Dan, if we could leave that one, that's perfect. I need us all to look at this right now. Here's our homework. Here's what we need to do. I need us to look at that blank because what it is for you might not be up here. It might not be politics for you. It might not be how many followers you have. It might not be your gamer score, right? But what is it for you that tempts you to define yourself there? Is it your work ethic? Is it, I don't know, I already thought of all those. You have to think about what it is for you, right? Maybe yours is up there, maybe not, but you need to think about it. And here's our homework. How can we replace that with love? And love requires action. Because they're not going to see your, they're not going to see that you're thinking about loving somebody. That's not how they will know you. They won't, they won't know you by the thoughts that you keep in your head. They will know you by your the things that you do. They will know that you are demonstrating that love. So think about what it is for you there. For me, it's often my rightness and, and, and my smartness. I, I, I want you to think that I know what I'm talking about, right? But what's more important is I want you to know how I love. And so that's what I need to replace. And so I want you during this next song to think about what it is for you. How can you be the hands and feet of Jesus? And that will require using your hands and your feet to practically show love to others. If our prayer teams could also come forward. Uh, during this time, uh, we're going to sing a song and I want you to be thinking about what goes in that blank for you. But also if you need prayer, because this is hard. Like this isn't an easy thing for us. Um, if, if you need prayer, we're going to be available for you. And also if your prayer like doesn't have anything to do with this at all, that's okay. At youth group, we say, we'll pray for anything from goldfish to grandma. If you've got a sick goldfish, we'll pray for her. If you've got a sick grandma, we'll pray for her. Because we want to pray for anything uh, and everything in between. But if you want prayer for this, we are also um, we are also available. And if you're here also, and um, you are they, 
and you're considering Jesus, please come talk to us as well. We'd love to share Jesus with you. We would love um, to, to talk to you more about how he's changed our lives. So Jesus, thank you so much that you loved us. Thank you that you left an example for us of how to live our lives. Um, I pray that each and every day that we can follow after that example, uh, that we choose to that we choose to be loved before we choose to be right, that we choose to be loved before we say something that we might regret or before we're not good ambassadors for you, Lord, um, because we care about they. You loved they and you died for they. And so I pray that they will know us by our love and by the fruit that we produce in our lives. Please produce more fruit in us, God. Please give us your gifts so that we can go out and, and we can and we can show you off and show how great that you are. Please, I pray that it is less of us and more of you in us, God. In your name we pray. Amen. After this song, you're free to go. Or now, you're not.